Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 20. Lizzie. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Thank you, Lizzie. Pastor Tim? All right. Hi, everybody. That was exuberant. Maybe a little less exuberant from now on. Erwin, thank you. It's good to be here in the house of the Lord. I tell you, there's something, even, even growing up as a rebellious kid, there was just something about being in church and singing together and sitting underneath the preaching that just sort of brought back to my heart closure and satisfaction again. And then it would be back into a world of sin and for years... The Lord just waged a war for my heart and finally claimed it. But uh, I tell you what, I'm so glad you're here, and I'm thankful, thankful that you are part of this church. And I want to encourage you to really, as we keep going through the book of Acts, and really gauging what is God doing in our hearts? What is God doing personally in your heart? Is he giving you more boldness? Wait till the end of this message, and you see a video testimony. Is he giving you more compassion? Is he giving you more awareness for God and for people who need the Lord and for those who are searching but yet can't find satisfaction and you hold the answer to them, answer for them? Is he giving you more of a care? Is he giving you more of a conviction to be sharing Jesus with people and use whatever ways God gives you to do it? I mean, how many of us are truly evangelists? Probably very few. I'm not. I don't have the gift of evangelism. But I do know what God's calling me to do. And when he opens up an opportunity for me to share the good news to a spiritually lost person, I can take that, I can do that, and have confidence that God's the one opening that up. God's the one giving me opportunity. And I hope you're growing in that as well in this series. And let me tell you what happened a couple weeks ago. This is Ju July 5th. And... 
from our church, there's a, one of the gentlemen that own a motorcycle. I own a motorcycle. We go for a ride with two other guys who are not believers. They're not in our church. Motorcycling to me is a ministry. And we go, I don't know if you've ever heard of Hot Dog Johnny's up in uh, New Jersey. We stop there at Hot Dog Johnny's, and I don't know one of the guys. One of them, Darren, is a super good friend of mine. We've been riding mountain bikes and motorcycles for years. But the other guy literally met him that day. And we're at Hot Dog Johnny's, and we get our food. We sit down at one of their picnic tables, and this is what I always do. Guys, do you mind if I just offer a word of thanks to God for our food? I've never had anybody say no. Or rather, I've never had anybody say, please don't do that. So I prayed. Now, this gentleman whom I just met, we're riding motorcycles together. He's ripping open ketchup packets and putting it on his fries the entire time I'm praying. So I'm getting maybe, I don't know, but I'm getting maybe an indication of where he is spiritually. And we're about, Lord willing, we're about to go on a three-day motorcycle trip up to New York in the beginning of October. And I am praying for him already. Because every time I go on one of these trips with unsaved people, God, Colossians 4, opens up a door of opportunity for the gospel every single time. And it's always the same. Listen, I get nervous. I don't know if you think that pastors don't get nervous. I wonder, am I going to blow it? Am I going to say something that doesn't make sense? And every time I have to center back to the Spirit of God, fill me, give me power, give me the words, give me the ability to witness. Let me just be faithful to be obedient. God, you have to do everything else. That's what we're learning in the book of Acts, and I hope that that's happening for you as well. I don't know about what it's doing for you, but I know for me it's been very convicting, this series, very encouraging, very illuminating. It's a book of non-stop action, and it shows how God raised up the church to witness of the good news of Jesus Christ so that the church could take the message of the gospel and the message of grace to the end of the earth. How the Holy Spirit empowers God's people, that's what Acts is about. How he empowers us to go and win and teach and make disciples of Jesus. And what we're about to see that Lizzie read in um, a few moments ago, what we're about to see is that often when we witness and when we share Jesus, it's going to take a really unexpected turn. And when it does, how will we respond? That's the main point of this message. When you witness to a spiritually lost person, and it does not go the way that you think, in fact, it goes the absolute opposite way that you hope, how will you respond? And Paul is going to give an example, and his life will be an example for us. Here we go. I got three points, as usual. I'm a three-point guy. Number one, there are times when the unexpected happens. Now, they are in Lystra. Okay, just look at your text. Start right at verse 8. They are in Lystra. Lystra is 24 miles southwest from Iconium. So it's only a day's journey, maybe a little more than a day. And things had gone, or at least at the end, things had ended badly for Paul and Barnabas at Iconium. 
And sometimes, friends, just think, some of you have experienced this, I have, where you share Christ with somebody and it goes really poorly. And they're really, really angry. Or they reject it soundly and maybe even reject you. What, that's what happens to Paul and Barnabas. And so they do what Jesus taught. Matthew chapter 10, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So the principle is this, that if you get rejected, move on. Move on. Don't let that discourage you. Don't let that stop you. Just move to the next person when God gives you the opportunity. So Paul and Barnabas, normally they come into a town, they go to the synagogue, and they preach. They broke from their usual custom, likely being for the reason that there wasn't a synagogue in Lystra. Did you know that to start a synagogue, you had to have 10 Jewish adult men? There may not even have been enough Jewish men in the town of Lystra to start one, so they did, he did not go to the synagogue for whatever reason. What he does is what he does next. What he also does, Paul, he hits the streets, and particularly the marketplace. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever by yourself or with a friend or with your small group, your growth group, or with your family, have you ever gone to downtown Easton or New York City or Philadelphia or Phillipsburg or Bethlehem, anywhere? Have you ever gone anywhere with a purpose? I'm just going to go and meet people and talk to them about Jesus. Now, how many of you have ever done that? That's an experience you never forget. If you have not done that, I would really encourage you, find somebody that will go with you and go and watch what God will do. It will be, it's, I, I've never seen an exception to this. It's always an encouragement to you. And sometimes, oftentimes, fruit comes from the effort. Well, they, they go to the marketplace. Ancient cities, friends, listen, in your mind, don't think strip malls in the ancient world. Don't even think storefronts. They didn't have them. They had marketplaces. Think Eastern Farmer's Market. That's a lot more what it was like. And Paul often went into them, look at verse 7, to preach the gospel. And as he's preaching, look at verse 8, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. So the guy is crippled. And look, he's crippled from birth and had never walked. So you're probably looking at feet that may have even turned inward, may have shriveled a little bit. We don't know. But what we do know is what the text says. He is crippled. He cannot walk. And he's never been able to walk. Now, we're going to watch what happens to him. But before we dive a little bit deeper into the passage, let me give you a little bit more understanding of the city of Lystra. You're going to need to know this to understand why on earth did what happened come about? Why did it happen? Well, before we go any deeper, let me tell you about the legend that surrounds Lystra. The legend went like this. The Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes, their Roman names, by the way, are Jupiter and Mercury, but in the Greek, it's Zeus and Hermes. One time, this legend said, they disguised themselves as ordinary human beings and came 
down to the earth. Now listen, all legends, almost every one that I've ever studied, has tracings of the gospel in it. Just like Jesus came from heaven down to earth, now this legend unfolded. This is what the devil does. The devil always tries to co-opt the Bible and what happens and twist it. And this is what he did here as well. But they came down to earth, Zeus and Hermes, but no one in all the region of Galatia, which is where they are, Lystra, Derby, Antioch, Iconium, nobody would give them hospitality until they came to the home of two very old peasants. Their names were husband and wife Philemon, how would you like to be named this, ladies, Baucus. I don't think you should name your little girls Baucus. That would be abuses who lived near Lystra. Because they were rejected, Zeus and Hermes, because they were rejected, the gods killed, so the legend says, all of the entire population except for that couple. And in exchange for their kindness, they were given two favors. They were made the caretakers and the guardians of a splendid temple to Zeus. And then when they died, second favor, they were turned, each of them, into great trees that spanned either side of the steps that went up into Zeus's temple. That's the legend. And they believed it. This is not one of those myths that you and I hear about and we kind of laugh at. No, this is one that they believed. And knowing what I just explained to you, watch what happens in verse 9. The crippled man listened to Paul's speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well. Now, time out for a second. I know you want to hear the rest of the story. Just let me tell you something. This is going to be actually a little disconcerting to some of you. Did you know that preachers can actually tell when you're listening and when you're not? Do you want me to have those of you who are not listening very well stand up? I wouldn't say it's that precise. But we can tell when you're listening. And some are so obvious that they don't believe what I'm saying or what Pastor Matthew's saying or Pastor Kyle is saying. Some obvious, obviously get bored. You can see it. It's really written quite splendidly, transparently on a lot of faces. And you can tell when people are responding in faith. Listen, you can just tell this sometimes when you're preaching. It's one of the reasons, by the way, and I want especially online audience to hear this and try not to hate me for saying this. It's one of the reasons... That online church, though it's helpful at times, is not an adequate solution for ongoing church. It takes away the dynamic of the preacher being able to discern who is or who is not responding to the gospel and the one listening to actually respond. So here's a crippled man. He's listening to Paul preach. And Paul is noticing him. I don't know why. I don't know how. Maybe he had tears coming down his face. Probably. I mean, if you've been crippled since birth and you're hearing the gospel of grace that's giving you hope and you're hearing it for the first time, likely very emotional. Maybe his, the man's head was bobbing and nodding as Paul was preaching. Maybe even like some of you do, which is so encouraging. Maybe he was raised his hands in praise while Paul's preaching. Whatever the reason, Paul says to him in the next verse, a loud voice, he says it, 
Stand upright on your feet. On your feet is very intentional. And he sprang up and began walking. Friends, listen, get into his sandals if he was wearing them. He's walking for the very first time in his life. And the story does not even focus on him. That's a wonder. That's what we call in the Bible a wonder. It's a miracle. It's validating the truth of the message that Paul is giving and validating that Paul was a reliable witness. That's what wonders and miracles do for Paul. That's what they will do for you as well. And then everything goes downhill in the most unexpected ways. Remember what I told you in point one. Sometimes things don't go the way you expect. Verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus. And Paul Hermes, because he was a chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen, and there were garlands around its horns, to the gates, and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. So immediately that legend that I told you about explodes in their midst. They're not going to be destroyed again. They're not going to be inhospitable again. That happened once, they think, in their history. It won't happen to them. The gods, verse 11, have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, maybe he's the older of the two. Maybe he's the larger of the two. The name Saul means little, diminutive. Uh, he was thought to be Zeus. And like all of the Greek gods, they rarely did their speaking. They always had a messenger. And Hermes was the chief speaker for Zeus. And Paul, they said, was the chief speaker for Barnabas. And our missionary duo had no idea that they were about to be worshipped in a frenzy just from healing this poor man. Now, they didn't understand the Lyconian language, so they didn't understand what was going on. They didn't know what the people were chanting until some of the disciples among them interpreted, or at least until the priest of the nearby temple of Zeus brought oxen and began to offer them and sacrifice them in worship of the apostles. You see, the people of Lystra were determined to not make the mistake of their forefathers. And this was not what they expected. It's not what Paul and Barnabas expected. Now, I want you to put yourself in this for just a moment because it's possible to do this very well. When I was, I've told some of you this story before, but when I was working in um, professional psychiatric, it was a psychiatric center for adolescents in Virginia, and I was always bringing my Bible to work always wearing t-shirts that had a message about the gospel purposely to provoke a question from them, the patients, the teenagers, so that I can answer that and, and witness to them. And I, I was able to lead people to the Lord. I was able to talk to them about Jesus. They're at the bottom of their rung, the bottom of their barrel. They're broken. They're ready. They're poor in spirit or at least getting there. And they wanted to know what was the reason for the hope that I have in, in Jesus. And I would share. 
And Bill Gorman, our director of the entire facility, called me into his office and said, Tim, you can't do that. You can't proselytize. You can't tell people about your religion. I didn't say anything to Bill, but inwardly I went right back to Matthew 28. All authority has been given to you. Go and make disciples. Go, win, and teach. And I said, okay, Lord, I might lose my job, but I've got your authority, which is a lot higher than Bill Gorman. So I went right back to doing the same thing. Brought my Bible, wore the T-shirts, shared Christ with the kids. It wasn't too long before I got another invitation to Bill Gorman's office. And he said, Tim, I thought we talked about this. I thought I was clear. You can't do this. If you do it again, I'm going to have to fire you. Now I'm in a crisis of faith. I'm married. I'm supporting my wife with my job. I'd been there for five years, so I had made up as much as I could until I got a master's degree, which I did later, but I didn't have then. And I had a decision to make. What am I going to do? Am I going to keep being faithful to God, or am I going to do what the director said? And I said, if I lose my job, God will take care of me. And I kept on witnessing. And you know what? Not only did I not lose my job, I was given favor and a promotion. Listen, that's not anything about me. It's everything about God. Sometimes when you share Christ, the unexpected is going to happen. And you're going to come into a crisis. You might lose your job. You might lose your friends. You might lose your reputation. But friends, it's worth losing for Jesus. And he is always going to take care of you. Point number two. The enemy will always seek to prevent gospel ministry. Sometimes we allow the good things in life to get in the way of the best things in life. I mean, just think about this for a moment. It's really good to feed the hungry. It's really good, and I mean it, it's really good to give generously to the poor. It's good to give backpacks to needy children, which we're going to do Lord willing, on August 14th, and all of these we've done, and all of these this church is going to do, but when the good gets in the way of the best, you have to make a corrective. The best is salvation. The best is the spoken gospel. The best is the declaration that you can have forgiveness of sins and new life in Christ, something that Paul was not able to do because the town reacted in such an unexpected frenzy when he healed the crippled man. Because look what happens in verse 14. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven in fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Paul and Barnabas try to stop them. They're trying to get them back to the best. They're trying to get them to the gospel. But these are not Jews, and so notice that he doesn't start like he did in, in Antioch with the history of Israel. He starts with the love of Yahweh, the love of the Lord, that he, he loves both good and evil. 
And they humbly started with the God who created all things, who wasn't called Zeus. That they must turn away from pagan idols to this living God who has made his existence known by providing rain and fruitful harvest. It's his standard message when he's speaking to non-Jewish people. With a little bit of variation in Athens, he's going to about say the same thing. But he never was able to get to the gospel. Jesus Christ crucified and risen. Why? Because look at verse 18. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Now let me teach you something that you have got to learn because it is so unbelievably relevant. One of the main strategies of the enemy, and it's one of his most successful is distraction. Friends, it happens constantly. He wants to distract us and keep us from sharing the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. If you want your friends, if you want your loved ones to come to know Jesus and place their faith in them, yes, live lovingly. Live graciously, but that in itself does not have the power to open their eyes to Christ. It must be the declaration. It's the gospel declared. It's the gospel spoken. And the devil cannot stand before the living and active word of God. He always flees. You know that, right? He will never be able to go toe-to-toe with the word of God. He doesn't even put up a fight. He has no choice but to change his tactic or to flee. But he can distract. And he gets us focused on pleasure, on busyness, He gets us trusting in biblical or rather worldly principles and strategies. But the church cannot be built the way a secular business is built. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. We have to maintain our focus. Here's what's going to happen. And I've experienced this so many times. As a church, on the uh, macrocosm, and both in my own efforts with people and the microcosm, every single time, the devil tries to distract. Get you focused on the wrong things. Get you focused on the good things so that you can't focus on the best things. And one of the things that we have to help each other with, both in the community called the church, but also in our own individual lives, we've got to encourage one another. Focus in. Get your gospel message. Don't let it go down this trail. You've got to get it to the gospel, Jesus Christ crucified and risen. See, this was the strategy of distraction. And the devil unleashed it. They couldn't even get to the gospel because of the frenzy of their false worship. But the main attack is about to come. Point number three. God's sovereign purpose reigns supreme even over the unexpected. Now look at verse 19. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. We've already met them. They're called the unbelieving Jews. And they keep following Paul. They're going to keep doing this. 
Antioch's 110 miles away. It's nearly, it's over a, about a week's journey. So time passes before they hear of Paul and Barnabas and Lystra. And Jews from there, from Antioch, they pick up, they gather Jews from Iconium, and they arrive. And meanwhile, it probably took a couple weeks at least for them to get there, hear about it, and get there. Look what the disciples are doing. Verse 20. Meanwhile, they're making disciples. They're focused. The unbelieving Jews who drove Paul and Barnabas out of Antioch and Iconium, they arrive and they do the same thing at Lystra that they've done before, except now their goal, listen, is to kill them. Not drive them out of the city, now it's to kill them. And look how they do it. They sow seeds of dissension among the fickle crowd. And they turn them from exaltation to execution, just like the crowds did for Jesus in the last week of his life. Now, very interesting. I want to tell you something about the name of the region that Lystra was in. Lystra, as you've already seen, they sp the people there spoke Lyconium. They're in the region of Lyconium in the province of Galatia, which makes up part of Asia Minor. Now, it doesn't matter if you remember all that or not, but here's what I want you to remember. Lyconium is the same word, or at least where we get the word lycanthropy. In fact, Lyconia means land of the wolf. If you've seen a werewolf movie, then you'll know where a person turns into a wolf on the full moon. That's the legend of the area. Really what you want to know, I told you last week that they're made, they're settled with the Gauls, the warlike, warlike Celtic people. It doesn't take a whole lot. They're a tinderbox to get angry and to go to battle. The city was full of ravenous wolves. And they had risen up in fear because of their legend, worshiping Paul and Barnabas. And listen, the two of them refused their worship. You've heard the saying, there's no, hell has no fury like a woman scorned. Well, it has no fury like a city scorned. A city scorned was a city ready for the seeds of dissension from the Jewish unbelievers. And it produced a murderous riot. And these Jewish unbelievers knew how to set it off. They could not find Barnabas, at least it appears, but they found Paul. And look at 19. And they dragged him out of the city, stoned him, and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. The mob stoned him. There was no legal system. There was no courtroom drama. They grabbed him, surrounded him, and began throwing rocks at him until likely either he died or he was rendered unconscious. Whatever it was, his body was left outside the city in a field. They thought he was dead. His disciples, the disciples of Jesus, came out. They gathered around him, and all of a sudden, Paul opened his eyes and got up. I don't know how to explain this sudden improvement apart from a miraculous healing because he got up and went back and entered into the city and knowing Paul the reason why was to minister to the disciples because he's about to leave the next day to Derby. he goes from what appears to be dead 
to rising back up, goes back into the city. And friends, listen, he goes back into ministering. And then he leaves the next day and walks on a journey of 58 miles to Derby. That's a man who understands the sovereignty of God. He will not lose his focus. And we have the same spirit of God in us. And yes, sometimes things take a very unexpected turn. And when they do, the devil will almost always use one of his strategies to get you to pull away from your faith in God. But God is sovereign. God is always sovereign. And God will always bring his purposes to life. So what can we learn from this passage as we close that will help us face the unexpected times in our lives? Well, first of all, I would suggest be faithful to serve Jesus no matter what happens. No matter what. Paul's response, I mean, just think about it. I would imagine, I don't know, I'm just really, truly conjecturing, he probably got hit in the head, and you know how profusely your scalp bleeds. I would imagine he was unconscious with blood everywhere. They thought he was dead. But his response to being stoned, and he later on in the New Testament talks about the marks of that on his body, scars that never went away. But he did not quit. He did not quit. Sometimes we lose friends and we quit. Sometimes we suffer. We might not get a promotion at work and we quit. He was almost killed and he did not quit. Second, not only be faithful to serve Jesus no matter what happens. Second, pray with urgency and ask God to give you opportunities to make disciples. This is the most mind-boggling thing to me of this whole story. Less than 24 hours after being stoned, he's on his way to the next town to do it all over again. If that's not endurance and resilience, I don't know what is. And friends, that's what we need to have. Times are urgent. All of the pastoral staff, all of the elders feel an urgency. The Lord is coming. And there are billions of people on this planet that do not know Jesus. And a lot of them right in our own neighborhoods and jobs and schools. It's our job to talk to them. Third, and I've only got two more. Third, you never know what fruit God will bring, even when it looks like you failed. It doesn't look very successful in Lystra. If you look forward for a moment to Acts chapter 16, can you flip it forward in your Bible? It's probably just a page. In verse 2, you're going to meet a young man named Timothy who was from the area of Lystra and Derby, who quite likely was there when Paul preached and when he was almost killed. It seems likely that Timothy, a young man, a teenager at the time, later becomes a disciple while Paul was there, he would, he would hear about the gospel. Paul called him his true son in the faith. He would become one of Paul's most faithful partners in ministry. 
While it looked like there was failure in Lystra, friends, you have no idea the success that God can bring. Last week, we had a couple, a mom and daughter that left the service and on the way home in the car, the two of them, the daughter could tell that the mom was melancholy, was sad, was starting to cry. And she said, Mom, are you okay? And talked a little bit about it and then said, Mom, are you a Christian? Are you saved? And her mom says, I don't think I am. And the daughter, after hearing the message, go, win, and teach, said, would you like to pray right now for God to save you? And her mom did in the car on the way home. We have no idea what fruit God is bearing, even when it feels like we're failing, even when it feels like we're speaking and nobody's listening. God is doing things. He's always doing things. Don't give up. And finally, fourth, we are in this together, so let's encourage one another. It's so beautiful. I love this part. It's no accident. It was very intentional, I think, that Luke tells us that the disciples gathered around Paul's body when he came back to consciousness. Paul just went through so far the most horrific moment of suffering in his young career as a missionary, as a disciple maker. And when his eyes came back to consciousness, there was the church. Friends, don't let anybody suffer alone. Don't do it. You gotta come around him. And we gotta be the church. And we've gotta be the community that says, if you're suffering, I'm suffering. And I will stand with you the whole way. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the endurance that we learn from this. Lord, we just don't know what you're doing. And we're about to watch a video that's going to show us some pretty powerful truths of what a person can do when they are filled with the Spirit and they go win and teach and they do not give up. Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness. Lord, give us an excitement. Give us eyes open. We may not have the gift of evangelism. Lord, that's okay. we got the Spirit of God. And when you open up windows of opportunity, Colossians 4, 2, Lord, let it find us faithful. And let us not let anybody in this church suffer alone. Let us love. Let us come around each other. Let us do ministry together. And may you be pleased. And in Jesus' name, amen.